the one time my dad offended everybody on the internet. And we never got listens again. <laughs> hey guys. So if you're still around after that, for fuck's sake. Thank you. We thought it was funny too. <laughs> Welcome to episode 39. You're the only people who aren't listening to this anyway. Right. I'm Christina. <laughs> I'm Amanda. Hey guys. Uh, oh god, I'm... Wait, hold on. When is this one coming out? We're so bad at time traveling, we need to look this out before we so fucking... So this is not this Wednesday, but the next one. So this comes out the 23rd. That's right before you're leaving. Yeah, so in two days, I'm fucking... No, it comes out Thursday, middle of the night. We're heading to Kentucky. <clears throat> the for fuck's sake? No. Ours comes out on We're Tuesday. time traveling now, Amanda. I know, but don't we come out on Wednesday? Yeah. So it doesn't come out on Thursday at, on the middle of the night? I said in the middle of the night, I'm going to be heading to Kentucky. Oh, I thought you said it's coming out Thursday, middle of the night. I'm like, I'm confused. This isn't the for fuck's sake Friday anymore. No, I said I'm in, no. uh, in two days. I'll be <clears throat> I'll be heading out in the middle of the night. Oh, gotcha. To Kentucky to visit my mom's family and see my grandma and grandpa that I haven't seen in forever. Aww. Grandma D. Grandma D. Doris, I love you. Grandma, 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 and Grumpa. I miss my Grumpa, too. I call him Grumpa because he's the grumpiest old man you'll ever meet in your entire life. I was going to say, he's a grumpy old guy. I love him. He's sweet as hell, but definitely has a gruff side. And then I'll be back, and then it'll be Halloween, and we can reveal our costumes. Dun, 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 Is that a cough or a sneeze? I have a lot of junk in my throat. I'm not sure. You got a lot of junk in your trunk, too. Thank you. You're Let's welcome. reference my shelf ass one more time. <laughs> Don't drop that thunthada. Don't drop that thunthada. <laughs> Don't drop that thunthada. Don't drop that thunthada. Don't drop that thunthada. Okay. All right. Oh, my God. This is a shit show no, beginning. Already, man. It's fine. We're going to keep trucking through. It'll be great. I don't think it will be. It's fine. <laughs> it's going to be so confusing. Why? Uh, But, anywho. Any. Faye, what will you be doing the week before Halloween? Working and twerking? Um, watching your dogs. Clover and Sophie are going to be in the care of Amanda. If you kill my dogs, my dad will never get over it. Okay. Let's just keep that in mind. I watched Jesse's dogs that they, I would have been killed over as well yeah. <laughs> for, for a month, so I'm not too concerned about a couple nights. They're pretty self-sustaining. <laughs> I feel like it's going to be all right. Um, Daisy doing that questionable, but she's really old, so we probably won't blame you for that. <laughs> doing that. Then babysitting. Oh, and babysitting. And then Halloween. I'm so excited for Halloween. It's going to be a good time, guys. Me too. I don't know what the fuck is in my throat. It's like I can't get it. Yeah, I hate that. It's the worst. So, Halloween, it's coming up. This is the week. Yeah, the week before. Before, so the next one, the next one we record, we gotta make it extra special. And spooky. Because it'll be the day before Halloween that it comes out. This is Halloween. This is Halloween. Okay, let's... Let's plan that off recording. Yeah. Okay. We got to get better about planning things off recording. Yes. But they come to us while we're recording, and then we feel the need to discuss them. 
It's true. You need to just, like, get notebooks. It's true. Another thing we should plan off recording. All right. <laughs> All right, guys. Let's let's talk about why you came here. We got some spooky-ass got, stories. I've got two, actually, for you. Because I do what I want. Oh, all right. Without planning. All right. And letting you know in advance. Well, good for you. <laughs> good for you. No. So what happened was, well, what happened was, <laughs> I had, I found this story and I was like, well, this is cool. And then I'm, as I'm like looking at the outlines, I'm like, oh, it's got all these twists and turns and there's all these other parts and it turns into like four stories in one. But then as I dug into it, each of those, like, little parts only has, like, a paragraph of information. Right, not a lot so, of meat. So, while it's a story that's going to take you on a bit of a whirlwind, it's going to be a fa- It's like a tilt-a-whirl. <laughs> it's going to be a fast whirlwind. You fucking spin around a little bit, and then you're done. Yeah, because <laughs> there's not a whole lot of information. It's still kind of weird. And then the other one I had was my first one that I had researched, but that also was, like, um, <clears throat> excuse me. It's a pretty straightforward story, so there's not also, like, not a lot of meat to it. So, but they're also both very interesting. Also both murders that occurred on, well, this one's a disappearance, but they occurred on Halloween night. Halloween. Yes. So, this one is the disappearance of Cindy Song. Mm. Um, so, Cindy Song grew up in South Korea, but in 1995, she moved to Virginia to live with her aunt and uncle to attend high school. Okay. After graduating, uh, she went to Penn Penn State um, University, and then on Halloween of 2001, Cindy, who was a senior at the university, went to a costume party at Players Night Club with two close friends, Stacey Pack and Lisa Kim. She was dressed as a Playboy bunny. All three friends partied until, like, around 2 a.m. bar close, Um, and when they left and stopped off, they stopped at a friend's apartment to play video games, and then at 4 a.m. that morning, they dropped Cindy off at her apartment. And she was never seen again. Oh, no. Um, she was known to have an independent streak. She liked to be spontaneous. Um, but she was also very hardworking and responsible. She was an art major at Penn State. And she achieved, she had good grades, held down two jobs. And running off on a whim was not something that would be, like, normal for her character. Okay. Searched her apartment a few days after her disappearance, or and it showed no sign of any struggle. There were, but there were some like interesting things found in her apartment. So they found her eyelashes on the counter. Okay. So she had obviously, and she had been wearing fake eyelashes that night. So she had obviously come into the apartment, taken her eyelashes off. off, put them on the counter. Um, her backpack was in the room as well. So she had brought her backpack in and left that in the apartment. Um. So they knew that she had at least been at her apartment before she disappeared. Right. Um, The only things that were missing were her purse, and that contained her driver's license and credit cards. And they believed that she was actually still wearing her costume because that was not found anywhere in the apartment. Well, so maybe she came in with Um, her eyelashes down and that was it. Her phone was still in the apartment. Her cell phone was in the apartment. But that had not, they had not made or any received any calls after she was dropped off at 4 a.m., and there was no activity at all ever on her credit cards. And then there was also no suspicious activity in her emails. Well, that's not a good sign. So they, what they thought she had done is gone to her apartment. Maybe it was like at 4 a.m. they dropped her off. She went in, started to like take her eyelashes off and stuff, and maybe remembered like she wanted to run down to a corner store or something. So threw sweatpants on, maybe over a costume, went, ran, grabbed her purse, and went out to the store 
Right. And that's when she disappeared because there was no struggle and her apartment was locked. Right. You know, so she must have done something to leave her apartment. And lock the door. Right. Um, Police and volunteers searched the wooded area near the campus, but there was no trace of her ever found. They don't believe that she ran off on her own. There was also two Britney Spears concert tickets found in her apartment, so she was, like, planning to go to this concert on November 6th. Okay. So they don't think that she was the type of person, like, why would you pay for tickets to a concert? If you knew you were going to disappear. If you knew you were going to disappear. Things like that. Um, And she was not depressed or suicidal. None of her medical records ever have any history of depression or anything. They just, everyone described her as just a happy, upbeat person, and they had no concerns of that at all. A few days after Cindy Song disappeared, there was um, a report. Uh, the police were called to Philadelphia's Chinatown district, which is about 200 miles from Cindy's apartment. And there was a woman who was matching Cindy's description, was seen crying and yelling for help. And then later eyewitnesses came forward with a description of the ma- um, So she was screaming for help mm-hmm. and she was dragged into a vehicle. Oh, that's fucking great. So the I. Eyewitnesses came forward with a description of the abductor, and then a police artist created a composite drawing of a man um, who had olive to light brown complexion and medium-length hair. Uh, But eventually the case went cold. So normally this would be, like, an open, like, this would be the end of the story. Okay. Case went cold. They have no idea. However, in 2003, police received a tip from an informant that they believe was connected to Cindy's disappearance. So it was a bank robber and a suspected serial killer named Hugo Selinsky. Okay. So Hugo Selinsky, um, basically he was in prison right now at this time because him, another guy, and like a female, I don't know if they were dating or something, were trying to pull off this scam. And it was, they were getting, they called him a bank robber because he was trying to, I think he had knocked off a bank before, but he, the scam was they were going to take out a loan or whatever on a house and they were going to write the check or whatever for like 10000 or whatever for a down payment on a house. And then they were going to rob the people that they were buying the house from because the people were rich. Okay. And s- steal money from their accounts. To cover the check. Interesting. And then what happened was those people ended up murdered and he buried them on his property. And they found the bodies on his property. And when they dug up those bodies, they just found five other bodies. Holy shit. And like the remains of a couple more. Who's this guy? Right. But there's not a lot of information. I'll give you the information I could find on him. Interesting. Okay. So. A co-defendant of Zelensky's told police that he was an accomplice, Michael Krakowski, and that they had abducted and killed a woman from State College that matched Cindy's description. The informant led the police to the location of five bodies, so on Zelensky's property, Mm -hmm. but the DNA testing proved that none of those were Cindy's. Um, One of the bodies was of the alleged accomplice, Krakowski. Um, The informant claimed that she was buried... Okay, I'm sorry, so... The informant said that Michael Kurkowski, Michael Kurkowski and um, Hugo Selinski did all this. Okay. And then one of the bodies that the informant, like, that they found was Michael, Michael Kurkowski. So it's like he silenced him. Yes. The informant also claimed that she had to be buried there, but it must be on another part of the property. 
Hmm. Authorities believe that the informant is telling the truth because his information on the other five cases was were, right. Was correct. Right. So why would he have? Why would he need to make up this one when he's? It's not like he's making up the other ones. Right. Like, um, Selinsky confessed to kidnapping Cindy, but then claimed that Kurkowski killed her and kept her bunny ears as a souvenir, and he has no idea where she was buried. Interesting. Um, so, in 2014, the authorities announced that the badly destroyed remains of at least seven other people were found on Selinsky's property. Um, they have looked into possibilities that one of the sets of the remains belonged to Cindy, um, but they also announced that Selinsky's attorney and private investigator were involved in witness intimidation and other crimes relating on, like, Selinsky's cases. So there's not, like, a lot of information right now on – he was um, convicted. Selinsky was convicted of the murders of Kurkowski and his girlfriend, Tammy Fassett, <clears throat> who were found on his property. Um, and he was sentenced to life in um, prison. And he is still considered a suspect, like the prime suspect in Cindy's cases, but her body has still not been found. Um, so, however, Selinsky is an associate of Steve Martin. So this is another twist. Okay. Not the comedian. Well, I <laughs> Steve Martin. I would hope not. Who is the sus- the prime suspect in the disappearance of Felicia Thomas and the murder of Jess- Jennifer Barzlowski. So okay. there, 22-year-old Felicia Thomas was last seen at her home in Lake Township, Pennsylvania, on February 11th, 2004. Okay. Um, she worked at the Pump and Pantry, and which is a weird name. <laughs> huh? <laughs> and was dropped off by a co-worker around 1130. When she entered her apartment, she woke up her boyfriend and then asked for a beer. He told her that it was on his ATV. She went out to get it. He went back to sleep, and when he woke up an hour later, she'd never come back in. And they never saw her again. Oh, my God. That's terrifying. Um, the co-worker was questioned by police, but he was cleared as a suspect. Um, Felicia's family believe that her disappearance is related to Steve. this case of Jen Barzos- Bar- Barzalowski. It's B-A-R-Z-I-L-O-S-K-I. Barzalowski. Um, who is Felicia's friend. So Jen, who was murdered, is Felicia's friend. Okay. Um, and she van- Jen actually vanished in 2001, and then they found her body. Uh, Felicia, after their disappearance, after Jen's disappearance, though, Felicia told her mother that Jen had been abducted and murdered. She also claimed that she knew who was responsible and was going to prove it. And Jen's skull was located in 2010, but her case, along with Felicia's, remains unsolved. And so, the- Jen's case, she was 18 years old. She vanished shortly after leaving her home in Edwardsville, Pennsylvania, and she was last seen at a bar with her sister's boyfriend, Steve Martin. Oh, shit. Who is uh associate, associate with Hugo Selensky. Yep. Um, shortly after she vanished, obviously, Felicia Thomas said that to her mother, and then Felicia disappeared. And the cause of her, of her skull, Jen's skull, like I said, was found in Hunlock Township, but none of her other remains were uncovered, and the cause of death is undetermined, um, but obviously they believe foul play was involved. Right. Let's see here. I mean, how else would so that happen? Steve actually claims to be the last person to speak with Felicia, 
calling her home shortly after 11.30, but he was, um, and he was the last person to see Jennifer before she vanished, Mm -hmm. but he committed suicide while in jail on unrelated vehicular homicide charges in 2005 Hmm. and was never charged in connection with the cases and neither body and Felicia's body has never been found and the rest of Jennifer's remains have never been found either. So just her head. Mm -hmm. What the fuck? It's just like, it was like a clusterfuck of cases that are all connected, but there's only like small paragraphs of information on each case. Like none of those had a Wikipedia page. Right. Like, so it's all these, like, weird news articles where it's, like, most of that I got off of Unsolved Mysteries because all of them have been re- reported as un- an Unsolved Mysteries as, like, season a series. Mm-hmm. But they were all just, like, three or four paragraphs about each thing connecting them. But, right. And they mentioned, like, there was, like, one – what happened was, like, I read Cindy's songs, and then the last paragraph or sentence of Cindy's songs was, she may be in connection with these two. So then I clicked on one of – on Hugo – and I'm writing about him, and I'm like, well, he's crazy, but I have to add that in there. And then at the end of his, it's like, mm-hmm. he's an associate of this guy, and these two girls were murdered and disappeared. So it, like, like kind well. of, but there wasn't, like, a lot of information on any of it. So I was like, that's really frustrating. I'm like, that's, what do you mean he, there's nine bodies on his property? Like, right. why is there not more information on this guy? Nine bodies. That's wild. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? It's, I don't fucking, it's weird. It is weird. Good so, story, though. That was It's short, sweet, but I thought yeah. that was pretty cool. Do you want to hear my other one? Well, I mean, you announced you had two. You should probably tell them both. Well, I could just say I'm not going to tell you the other one. What would you do with it, then, if it's short? I don't know. Well, then you better fucking tell it. All right, fine, I will. You ready? Really had to twist your arm there. All right, fine. All I right, can... fine, I'll keep talking. <laughs> um, so, can you t- guess when this one took place? In the 80s. Yeah. On Halloween night. Ooh. Doggy. The oh, 80s like, were fucking weird. Is this my weird. sister's birthday? No. It's 85. Um, it's 84. 84. So, so, like, so a couple years birthday? before. She's born in 85. Yeah. But my sister's was. Okay. So on Halloween night, 1984. Huh? Brian. Okay. This, by the way, just starts off bad. All right. I'm ready. I'm prepared. I'm fucking okay. strapped in. Brian watched his 26-year-old stepfather, David L. Andrews, brutally murder his mother and two sisters while stabbing them to death inside their Wagstaff home. Why was he just going after the ladies? So, I'll get there. (laughs) You you automatically ask me questions. I'm like, I'm going to tell you. Just give me a second. (laughs) Well, I I don't have any. I'm just curious. I'm a curious girl. So, it is still considered by local law enforcement officers and community members to be one of the grisliest murders in Miami County history. So, Brian said that his stepfather and his mother got into an argument and she kicked him out of the house. He returned later and the argument turned violent. Brian watched as his mother reached for the phone to call his grandpa and then when Andrews, that's when Andrews first started stabbing his mother. Oh my god. After stabbing her more than 30 times. Andrews went down the hall to find her sisters, who had run into their room. He each stabbed them individually, then came for Brian. Okay. Um, So it wasn't just the girls. Well, Brian said Andrews came into his room covered in blood and said, he said his face had no remorse in it. And he said that there was only a savage presence about him. 
Okay. And he said that if you do not listen and obey me, I will kill you. Okay. Brian said he completely shut down emotionally. He said, I was put into a situation where I had to survive, and it was all about survival. Fair. So, retired Miami, um, so Miami County Sheriff's Deputy Randy Cornelius, um, who was one of the first to arrive on the murder scene in 1984, um, stated that in his, he had just started his law enforcement career at this point, so he was like a new officer said he is still haunted by the images of the murder scene and the parole hearings. All of the parole hearings that he has to continue to visit because it's... Right, it keeps reminding yeah, him of all over again. All that shit. He said there was no wall in that house that did not have blood on it. I can imagine 30 times just in one person. Mm-hmm. Um, he said it was early in the morning on November 1st, 1984, that Cornelius was called to respond to a crime scene in Wagstaff, um... Jean Yackel, a 28-year-old mother of three, was found in the living room on the floor, lying in a pool of blood. Multiple stab wounds were visibly on her lifeless body. Down the hall and inside a bedroom, he discovered even more. Crammed into the corner of the room between the bed and the wall. Oh, so it was like they were hiding. Were the lifeless bodies of 11-year-old Tiffany Dawn Massey and 10-year-old Tamara Jo Massey. Oh, my God. And they were covered in blood and knife wounds. Um, an eight-year-old Brian Massey was missing. Uh, it didn't take long to trace the murders to Andrews, who later admitted to taking Brian to Andrews' sister's house in Port Huron, Michigan, after trying to shoot himself in an attempted suicide. Um, he, Andrews was taken into custody by Michigan law enforcement officials and taken to a Michigan hospital under guard. Right. So... Um, this is also another dark part. Brian was found alive inside the sister's house. He was taken back to Miami County on November 4th, 1984. Um, and Andrews was then extradited in December of 1984. Um, he was charged with three counts of first degree murder, kidnapping, and sodomy charges. Oh no, he took him as a little... Oh no. Um, Andrews stated that after taking Brian from the home after the murder... He sodomized him several times on their trip to two-day trip. What to the fuck? What happens to people? Mm-hmm. Well, like, he's he he's. It turns out he's got like kind of a history of it. I guess. Okay, but still, it's like. Well, not of like violence. I guess not but like of yeah, dirty boy, yucky. Nut, yeah, not ugh, just ugh. yeah. Okay, so. Despite, like, all of the evidence they had, um, the, pro- the prosecuting him was kind of hard because they could not find the murder weapon. And um, Brian was be- would be forced to testify, and he was an eight-year-old boy who had just been molested and sodomized and um, witnessed his whole right. family being murdered. So, obviously, the defense is going to say that he is traumatized and yada, yada, yada. Right. But, um... He's traumatized by the crimes that he saw that he's supposed to testify on, mm-hmm. so he can't testify. Well, I mean... Yeah. I mean, I get it, but... So, Andrew's mental status was also called into question, which could have made it difficult for the prosecution to prove premeditation, um, which is what was required, obviously, for first-degree murder. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so during a week-long interview process in April of 1985, two staff members of the uh, Menninger Foundation in Topeka talked to Andrews about his past and why he committed um, the crime. He had a violent history, including once stabbing his brother in a drunken rage. Shed he was drinking heavily that night, and although he said he remembered grabbing the knife and hearing lots of screaming, he didn't remember the actual stabbing. Ugh. So, on May 13th, 1985, uh, jury selection was scheduled to begin. However, a plea deal was announced. Andrew pled guilty to, in exchange for the dropping of the kidnapping and sodomy charges and the reduction in the primary charge to three counts of second-degree murder. Um, so, in June of 1985, he was sentenced to 15 years to life in prison for each second-degree murder conviction with the sentences to run consecutively, making his total sentence reach 45 years. Yeah. Um, I can't. That's a I lot. Know. That's a lot of shit for only getting 45 years. Yeah. I. Well, what they said is based on the where it was. Um, Hager, who was the prosecutor at the time, and he is now the Miami County Counselor, um, he said that this case would have been handled differently today thanks to advances in forensic science and new policies mm-hmm. regarding questioning children who have gone through traumatic experiences. Right. Um, so despite all the circumstantial evidence, he also said that they were never able to find any of Andrew's blood at the crime scene. So there was never any, like, they couldn't find any of his DNA. There was no proof that... At the crime scene. Despite the fact that he sliced his hand during the attack, they never were able to uncover any of his actual DNA at the crime scene. How? If he sliced his hand on the murder weapon, but was able to... Contain and bring the murder weapon with him. He believes that they believe that current forensic equipment and techniques could have been able to find the DNA, which would have been solid evidence, but they just could not decipher any of his DNA. Yeah. I wonder if it was because it was mixed with all the blood Mm -hmm. since it was such a bloody scene and they couldn't at the time. It wasn't necessarily that they're able to define two different DNAs in one pool of blood when Mm -hmm. they were mixed together. Interesting. Okay. So, although Andrews was originally would not have been eligible for parole for 30 years, changes in Kansas statute God. allow for patrol, parole eligibility after 50% of a sentence has been served, which was why Andrews was first up parole into, for parole in 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, several of the people who spoke at the hearing in 2007, um, including Brian Massey, the eight-year-old boy, mm, yeah, uh, and Cornelius, who was the sheriff, we're back to speak again. So he he went to the um, parole to parole hearing and spoke at the parole hearing. Good. And um, he there was a part of in the story that he told where they went to the um like the grave. His mm-hmm. aunt took him to his gra- the grave before the trial, and he was like, "I don't know how I'm going to do this." And his aunt said, "Well, your mother is going to be there with you," and kind of like talked him Little through it. He's talk. like, "I have to do it for my sisters and for my mother. I have to make sure he never gets out." Kind of. Mm-hmm. So there are about a dozen people in attendance at the public comment session um, to speak against Andrews, and no one spoke in favor of granting him parole. Good. Um, Kathy Mayer and Tiffany Don Massey were. Uh, Kathy Mayer said Tiffany Don Massey was her childhood best friend and they shared the same birthday. 
In her speech, she said, Tiffany would come over to my house almost every day. She was more than a best friend. She was my sister, and you took her from me. Uh, Mayor said she lives with survivor's guilt because Tiffany had asked her to spend the night at her house that night. And Mayor had already had other plans with another friend. Oh, my gosh. She How said, crazy. Yeah. She said, I had nightmares for a year. If you let that monster out of jail on good behavior, I guarantee you he will kill again. Well, yeah. Um. How horrendous as a friend would you feel? Like, if you had said, hey, you want to hang out tonight? And I was bit, I'm like, no, I'm sorry, I'm busy. And something happened to you? Oh, my God. Right. That would kill me. And she was just a little girl. Right. It's hard to even understand that, like, you couldn't have done anything. There was nothing you could have done to change it. Right. Oh, my God. So Jason Browning, um, who was... Tammy Joe Massey's classmate said he still gets emotional when thinking about the murders, especially since he was now has twin boys in the fourth grade. He said, Tammy was the sweetest girl I've ever known. I'll never forget her red cheeks and the beautiful smile that she had. And you took that from us. Um, Robert Stuteville and Jean Ann were his cousin and best, or said Jean Ann was his cousin and best friend. And he doesn't understand how parole is even being considered after what Andrews did. He said, I can't believe that somebody who did something this horrible can be eligible or get out. Mm-hmm. Um, Delgado talked about how close she was to her sister-in-law, and she urged, this is the aunt, the mm-hmm. parole officials to not let, let Andrews out. He said, She said, I will never forgive him. He's going to have to take that up with God. Mm, agreed. Brian Massey spoke for the longest time. He spent nearly two hours describing in detail the relationship between his mother and Andrews, how Andrew sexually and emotionally abused him, and how Andrews committed the murders methodically and quickly on Halloween night. Oh, so it was not isolated incident that he was doing that to him, or is he ta- just no, talking just that, about the... that, okay. yeah. Um, he actually, what the sheriff Cornelius had said is that it was amazing how... Brian was so traumatized that after the murders and law enforcement officers did not push him for like in, in interrogations Mm -hmm. for questioning. So because of that, he now, there were things that Brian's described that night that they were the law enforcement wasn't aware of. Um, For example, they didn't know why a large amount of blood was found on the phone in the house after the murders. And -hmm. it was because she was making a phone call when he started stabbing her. Um, and they had no idea as to why there was so much blood around the phone. Um, oh, yeah. Also, when Brian spoke, he said they learned for the first time what happened to the murder weapon. Brian remembers um, Andrews stopping at a dumpster and tossing a butcher knife. Yeah, because he was with him. Yep, into the dumpster on their way up to Michigan. Oh, so they never really asked him because no. they didn't want to push him, so then they just never knew. Mm-hmm. And because it was an active case, they didn't... Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's wild. Yeah. So during the investigation, um, the sheriff's office had searched the woods behind the murder scene after Andrews um, because Andrews said he tossed the weapon there, but they had never found it. And so they he didn't know until 2007, 15 years later, 20 years later what actually happened to the murder weapon until hearing Brian's testimony. Right. Wow. So then um, Cornelius, who was the sheriff, was the last to speak. And he 
um, actually got a lot of the strongest reactions from the parole officials uh, when he displayed pictures of the crime scene pulled up, pulled from the sheriff office's case file and said, David Leroy Andrews is a vicious animal. There's only one place for a vicious animal, and that's behind bars. Mm-hmm. No official de- decision was made at the public comment session, um, but the parole officials took notes throughout the day and said they will use the comments to help make their ultimate decision. And Andrews was not granted parole. He was actually denied parole. And again, like I think, la- and his next eligibility now will not be until November of 2027. And if he's denied, then he will not be released until 2029. And I'll end it with a note from the sheriff who said, I hope he dies in prison. Me too. Yeah. Ugh. What a fuck. Yeah. So that was my, those are my two unexpectedly very dark stories that I. Yeah. Just a little, a little dark. Yeah. What? It's just, I don't understand. It's, it's the same with like family annihilators that they just snap one day. And, uh, (gasps) speaking of family annihilators, this, I can't believe I haven't said this so far. There was another Chris Watts, another update on him. Uh huh. His, he tried, he killed the girls twice. So he tried to strangle them or suffocate them Mm -hmm. before his wife got home. Oh. And then he thought they were dead. But they were just passed out. But they were just passed out. So then he killed his wife, and it was scared him shitless when his girls came into the room because he thought they were dead, and they had bruising under their eyes and, like, swelling by their mouth and everything like that from him holding the pillow over their heads. So, like, on the drive to where he dumped the body... He, like, described in detail all the bruising on the girl's face from, like, being deprived of air. and Right. Yeah. From being asphyxiated. Yeah. And then he had to kill them. He smothered them again the second time. Sorry, that just got real dark again. But that was a new update on that. This motherfucker. I hate him, too. I hate him, too. Hate him. Hate him. Oh, my gosh. This world, I tell ya. It's a muffed up place, man. I'm sorry. Made my heart hurt. Nielsen, bringing it down again. I feel like I got punched in the heart. I feel like these last couple episodes, my job is just to bring the... It's okay, it was mine for a very long time. Bring it down. Just be a big Debbie Downer. I mean, mine. I wouldn't say mine's lighthearted, but... It's not about dead babies, is it? Because I don't think people can handle that right now. Um. Well, there's one weird story. Okay, but it's not like a bunch of dead babies. No, there's okay. not like a pile of dead babies in it. <sighs> you gonna tell me a story? Yeah. What are you gonna tell me? I'm gonna tell you about Waverly Hills Sanatorium. Oh, it's so creepy. This one's in Louisville. Louisville. Kentucky. Louisville. Louisville. No, not Louisville. Louisville. Louisville? Louisville. Not here, man. It's not that here. Maybe there. It's in Louisville. Like, good for you. Louisville. I'm going to go ahead and say Louisville, but but also this is the only time I say it, so it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Waverly Hills was started by a man who bought a building to build a schoolhouse for his kids. Major Thomas hired Major Thomas is his name. Okay. He hired a woman named Lizzie Lee Harris, and she named the school after her favorite novels, the Waverly Novels. Okay. A little little tidbit back background. Right about right around the like early 1900s, 1908 or so. Uh, the board of tuberculosis hospital bought the area and the buildings to use strictly for housing TB patients. Love me some good old fashioned TB. Yeah, nothing like dying because you are suffocating on your own lung swelling. It's great. And bloody coughs. Um, around the. <laughs> well, that was graphic. Just saying, I did a lot of TB reading. During this, because I was the like, consumption. I'm kind of, kind of interested. It's the worst. Um, from this time, or around this time, TB was killing one out of every seven people in America. Up to up until 1882, people believed that TB was a genetic disorder, and there, there was a discovery by Robert, like Cook, I think it is, but it also could be like cock but um, <laughs> but i think it's cook i love people with the last um, name cock it's so unfortunate I love, I love people with the last name cock cock um they discovered it was an infection and it was highly contagious so that's when they started trying to figure out like how to separate them from society because originally they thought it was a genetic disorder that was passed down through families and so they didn't think that they needed to be separated from the people around them. They mm-hmm. thought it was just something they had. But in actuality. That was wrong. You're wrong. Put uh, them in the iron lungs. Sim- right. Squeeze Symptom. it out of them. Just, okay. <clears throat> um, symptoms were bloody coughs, pain in your lungs, making it difficult to breathe. That's like the first symptoms. And then you pretty much just... It consumes you. Hence, consumption. consumption. Uh, They would banish people that contracted the infection to sanatoriums like these and isolate them from society. Basically, the person would suffocate to death is what. And if you worked at a sanatorium, you're... You you didn't get to leave the sanatorium, yep, right? That's, yeah, oh, that's sorry. in here, too. It's uh, Waverly Hills Sanatorium open its doors... Officially, on July 27th of 1910, the house that they built was made to fit 40 to 50 tuberculosis patients, and the treatment was isolation and fresh air. So Yeah, that helps your lungs when they're full of fluid. Yeah, they would literally put the patients out on these, like, patios and balconies for treatment. And just leave them out in the weather, no matter what it was. No, that's not. Yeah, they leave them there in the winter until like snow started collecting on their feet. When was this again? What year was this? Nineteen ten. So this is like, is like this... just over a hundred years ago. Is it? So it's not in this. This is like past the day and age where it was like you got demons in your blood. Let's just do cocaine. Like this. I was mean, like, there was like more... that was up until. I mean, they were treating things with like alcohol up until like the thirties. I suppose. And shit. Like it's it's not that far off, man. I suppose we've made leaps and bounds. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, another treatment they would use is implanting balloons in the patient's lung and filling them up, expanding their lung, thinking that would help them like be able to like stretch the lung out again, thinking it was like tightening of the lung. That's not how I, any of this works. I know. <laughs> oh, I know. You've got you've got things in your you've got a whole bunch of fluid in your lung, so let's shove something else in there. Yes. Well, and it's because they thought that it was that their lung was tightening up. Like that collapsing. They could, yeah, like it was collapsing on itself. That's what they originally thought it was. So they would do that to try to expand it in order for you to be able to breathe again. But instead, it just basically suffocated people. Yeah. Uh, oh, God, that's terrible. Yeah. In Waverly, they would. Do you think? I know you're. I'm sorry. No, it's but fine. You, do you think like when doctors are like, you know what? We should put a balloon in this dude's lung. And they're like, yeah, let's do that. So they do that, and the guy suffocates. He goes, let's try right, the next guy. Let's mark that off the list. This obviously didn't work. <laughs> um, Probably, because I feel like there was a lot of that sort of stuff happening. Like, I wonder what happens if we do this. Maybe this will work. Well, well, I mean, that's no, basically let's what not do that again. Like Mengele did. Well, Mengele was a monster. These guys were just ignorant. Right. But, I mean, like, <laughs> that's, that's how, how do you think they figured out things right, about the body, you know? Um, but they also had a thing in Waverly called the body shoot. <laughs> yes. Is that what I think it is? It is exactly what you think it is. This contraption was a way to lessen the stress on the staff and the patients to keep the bodies out of sight from the patients because they were already like anxiety ridden because of being sick and knowing they're probably going to die and whatever. So they didn't want death to be literally like dragged in front of them. Um, and then it also made it easier to move bodies from one place to another so the chute led down to a series of tunnels and it literally is just like conveyor belt chute it isn't like dropping the body like (laughs) fucking sweeney todd style down into the basement (laughs) i was actually picturing like a slide to lunchroom but right like like a crazy slide yeah i didn't think it was like a dead body that's not what i was picturing at all they (laughs) (laughs) can you imagine (laughs) just like we just slide to lunch sometimes in our wheelchairs But it's it so it led to a series of tunnels that would basically make it easier to move them around so they, the whole building. They weren't Sweeney totting it. They were no. It okay. was like a it was like an actual. They'd put them on like a Pallet platform, yeah. send them down like with a pulley system. But still, body shoot makes it sound way worse than that. Actually, so it makes it sound kind of fun. It's <laughs> <Just laughs> gonna go down the old body shoot. One of the conservative guesses on how many deaths there were around this time in the hospital were 6,000, but there are, like, terrible record-keeping issues at that time, so they're thinking that it could possibly upwards of 63,000 people had died throughout the tuberculosis hospital times of this area of Waverly, so because just because of the amount of people that would come there and a majority of them would end up dead before they would actually leave because they couldn't leave if they were infected. I don't like that at all. Yeah. Isn't that fucking crazy that I don't want to play with that? Number yeah. At all. There, there is a claim that at the height of the tuberculosis hospital, there would be about a death an hour. So every hour or so there would be, 24, Calling. a minimum of 24 a day. Yeah. Um, admission 
to the hospital meant that you were basically just admitting that you were going to die. So it was like hospice. Yes. And the the staff that worked there pretty much signed up for a lifetime thing because they weren't allowed to leave it, trying to avoid spreading the illness. And most of them actually would end up contracting it mm-hmm. and dying themselves at the hospital. So what are they doing with all these bodies going down the body chute? Will you get um, there? Sorry. They, so they have like on-site graveyards and okay i'll get i'll Sorry, get to the like de- weird details but okay. the original building was quickly filled then in 1912 they built another building that would house another 40 to 50 people and that was a that one was specifically meant for like advanced cases of tuberculosis so that is where everybody died mm-hmm. at that point once they built it in 1914, they built a children's house on the property with 50 beds, but not only sick children would stay there. The children of the patients that were too sick to take care of their kids would end up staying there and most likely contracting the oh, infection and dying. Um, in October of 1926, there was a building made to house 400 patients, so they're expanding in order to take on as many people as they can. Can you imagine being one of the people, the individuals that carry tuberculosis and aren't affected by it? Right. But like in this, like, well, they wouldn't have had any idea. No, I know. But I mean, like you're surrounded and all these people are dropping dead and you're kidding. All these people are catching it and you're not like all these nurses are catching it or like Mm -hmm. the children are catching it. And it's just, what is going on? It's just fucking you. And you're like, what do I like just immune? Like, cause my grandma, her grand, my grandma McLean, Mm-hmm. Her brother, I think, died of tuberculosis, and so she di- she was exposed to it, and they found out she's got tuberculosis like spots she's on her a, lung. Is she a carrier? She's a carrier. She's yeah, got to, to, she's got like the spots on her lung, but she never because so she was exposed to it when her brother died, but she was never she never like contracted the full disease. Yeah, um, so, but isn't that weird? Well, and it's like for this. Since we were talking about a timeline before, mm-hmm. this is 1926 is when they expanded to the four. Like, we're already yeah. almost to 30s. And there wasn't even a treatment, like, found for tuberculosis until, like, the ni- 1944. And yeah. that was, like, spotty at best. But mm-hmm. by 1961, there was no need for sanatoriums anymore because they had basically eradicated it. Yes, exactly. So that is... That, like, the building for a time was switched to a dementia patient housing. So, like, very, basically it was an old folks home, but for difficult dementia cases. Mm -hmm. So, it it said that during this time, there was a large amount of electroshock therapy being used on the elderly, um, along with a lot of progressive medication. Medical treatments. So lobotomies? Yeah, that's what I'm (laughs) guessing. When I was reading that, I was like, so you're trying to say in less words, like lobotomies and all those other fun things that they thought were real good. I'm going to do a Tom joke now. I'm ready. I'd rather rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. (laughs) Oh, my God. Because that's what he would say if he were listening right now. (laughs) Uh. I'm just going to smooth right past that. And uh, 
The building of Waverly Hills was closed officially in 1982 and had been auctioned off multiple times to multiple people. The following years, it was attempted to be turned into a prison, but that turned that was turned down by the neighborhood that was surrounding it. They were mm-hmm. like, well, no, we're not having a low security prison oh. around here. Uh, then in 1996, the buildings and land were purchased by Robert Elberhosky. Just smooth right by. Yep. Who decided <laughs> he was going to build a, a replica of Christ the Redeemer, you know, from Rio de Janeiro, yeah. um, on it. How are you going to pay for that, bud? Um, he he was part of the Christ the Redeemer Foundation. He attempted to build a gift shop and a sanctuary. He had this whole, like, blueprint of everything he was going to make for this, like, Christ the Redeemer Foundation space. And he needed $4 million to build all these things. He managed to raise 3000 So, he abandoned the property tried to have it condemned, and in fact, when they refused to condemn it, he tried to fuck up the foundation of some of the buildings so that they would have to, con- like, condemn it. You know, like a good Christ the Redeemer Foundation mm-hmm. member Christian just trying to yeah. roll the system. Got it. Uh, in 2001, Charlie and Tina Mattingly uh, purchased the property and are the owners today, and they do tours um, around the buildings, charging people between 60 and and $100 per walk, depending on what it is. And I was like, why the fuck not use it? Because everybody says it's haunted. Right. So why not? Also saying that the money they raised is going back to renovate, renovating the property. From everything I read, it kind of sounds like they want to turn one of the buildings into, like, a macabre B&B, but, like, fix it up really nice and, mm-hmm. you know, just have it be, like, a haunted bed and breakfast. Um, when they got the property, it was extremely run down. They said that there hadn't been any, cause they got it in 2001. He got it in 1996 and wanted to do all those renovations and couldn't do anything. So I can imagine it just kind of yeah became disheveled. It became a place where like, um, homeless people would squat and, you know, all that fun Kids stuff. Kids run in and do vandalism. A lot of vandalism, yep. And they said that it was a hot spot for, like, coming in and doing, like, satanic stuff because yeah. it was the 80s and 90s and stuff and, you know, people are crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, throughout the buildings, there was there are full-blown apparitions witnessed, mm. moaning and groaning sounds. You know what that means. Yeah. Somebody's bow, getting it on. Bow, 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 bow. Uh, doors brown chicken, brown cow. <laughs> doors slam on their own. There's also like phantom door sounds. It sounds mm. like a door opens up and there's no doors around. Exactly. Except not. <laughs> <laughs> Shadow people wailing in the halls. Yeah. Um, fog spirit clouds. Balls of light. There have even been sightings of a phantom nurse or a hearse unloading. <laughs> nurse. Nurse. Don't mind me. Same thing. Um, a phantom hearse pulling up behind the building and unloading coffins. Like there's been multiple people who have seen a like a vehicle drive up and what looks like people bringing coffins in, but mm-hmm. then there's nothing there. Um. The so now. I'm going to kind of, like, come into the different areas that have hauntings Okay. in the sanatorium. 
and explain a little bit more about those areas. So there's the drain room. This is where you asked what happens oh, with all the dead no. bodies. <laughs> Ew, it is, is that what it sounds like? Yep, it's pretty much exactly what Gross. it sounds like because they thought that it was carried in the blood. Which it was. Yep, so they drain all the blood out, keep it in this confined space, and that's when they were able to bring the bodies out to be buried. Well, bodily fluids, I guess. Yeah, so this room was where they would, this is graphic, they hang the bodies, like, drain the blood from them. Like they're deer. In a, from, right, like exactly, meat hook style, mm-hmm. hang the bodies. Um, I think it's just a primitive attempt to, like, contain yeah. the infection. And so that's one of the, like, macabre places where they'll hear things, see things. But this is part of the shoot, so there's more about, like, the body shoot later. On the third floor of the sanatorium where people would get the fresh air treatment, there is a little girl seen running up and down the halls. And then there is also a young boy chasing, like, a toy ball bouncing down the hallway. They'll, like, mm-hmm. you'll catch a glimpse of him and then he'll be gone. Uh, so one thing that investigate one thing investigators do when they come in, like paranormal investigators, is they'll bring a ball and they'll set it down. And sure as shit, almost every single time it'll, like, roll around, not like in uh, it's rolling downhill type of fashion, like, mm-hmm. roll around the room in different directions and stuff. It's fucking weird. I don't like um, that. Yeah, it's weird. Then in the kitchen area, there are continuous sightings of a man in a white coat seen entering the kitchen. There are also reports of, like, strong bread smell, like baking. Yeast smells. Yeasty smells. Oh, good. <laughs> Coming from the kitchen. And that's one thing that was reported on, like, because Ghost Hunters went there the show mm-hmm. and they they smelt it on the thing they're like do you smell bread and it was yeah i love fresh bread right I gotta um sorry. this is one of the things that would be considered one of the residual hauntings there because it's one of those rare cases where they have residual and like active um, what active yeah active or like um reactive hauntings mm-hmm. where they have I don't know, they just, they can actually interact with you, and it's weird. So that was one of the residual ones where they're like, it's obviously just left over of a regular, everyday thing this person did, walk into the kitchen and smelling the bread because they were always, you know, making food. One of the most active areas in the building is the fifth floor. Um, there are two nurses' stations, a pantry, a linen room, a medicine station, and a, two medium-sized rooms on either side of the nurses' rooms or the nurses' stations. Um, room 502 is said to be, to have multiple people that have jumped out of the window there. Oh. Uh, there are misty figures seen moving in and out of the windows on, on the floor. You can hear screams and voices on that floor. There is a rumor that that this may have been the floor also holding some mentally insane people. So it was never officially deemed a, like, institution of sort. Yeah. But they think that they took in, and there's cases where they take took in, like, younger people that were having mm-hmm. mental issues, not just the dementia patients. Yeah. When it was the dementia house. And it's like, 
they think this is the floor where they kept those younger people closest to the nurses. Um, there was a nurse found dead in room 502 in 1928 while it was a tuberculosis hospital, Mm -hmm. Mary Hillenberg, and she was found hung from a light fixture from suicide. Uh, She was 29, and she found out she was pregnant and also found out that she had been infected by TB. Oh, no. So from everything that I read, it sounds like she, it was just too Too much much. for her to bear. Yeah. She's like, I can't bring a baby into this world and know that I'm going to die. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. So that sounds terrible and insensitive. Yeah. But there's also a version of this story where the father of her baby was a married man who was a doctor in the hospital. Oh. And he attempted to give her an abortion, botched it. She bled out and he hung her to make it look like a suicide rather than. Oh, yeah. Right? Ooh. And there's, like, different reports, so there's no exact amount of time that she was hanging there, so it could have been that she had decomposed enough to where they They couldn't tell. Oh. So you don't know. Yeah. Um, Then in 1932, another nurse, jumped from the room to her death and no one knows why. So they did, she just, that's fucking weird, right? Like no one has any idea. There was no cases of her having any sort of, um, issues in her life, anything. Maybe she just went mad. She wasn't infected. She didn't have any weird, like medical issues. Mm -hmm. Just jumped to her death. Um, then in the early 1990s, there was a little, uh, security waiver there since, you know, let's just say there weren't a lot of very steady ownership right. issues. Ex- exchanging hands Exactly. Constantly. So that's when squatters and vandals came in. Mm-hmm. Um, one night there were, there were two teenage devil worshippers roaming around in the area hoping to vandalize the place, like write their pentagrams and all that stuff, thinking they were going to be yeah. really cool. When they entered the sanatorium, they found a homeless man who was squatting there. Mm. They murdered him to sacrifice him. Then, when he was dead, they threw his body down the elevator shaft. And now it is said that that homeless man haunts the elevator shaft. Like, that there's claims that when you walk past the elevator, objects and, like, little rocks and stuff would get thrown at you. And you can hear, yeah, you can hear the little Ugh. of things like getting tossed and then rolling across the ground and stuff. I don't like that. Yeah, it's creepy. And then this is the worst one. The creeper. I'm sorry. His name is the creeper. Don't like that. Is it a shadow man? The creeper is a small humanoid creature who crawls on the walls. No, it's the creeper. It, it is a shadow man. He's fully black, can't see through him. Um, when you make contact with the creeper, the in, the owners instruct that you leave immediately without stopping, and otherwise it will inflict bodily harm on you. Okay, so my question is why name him the creeper? Like, it's scary enough. Give it a name like... So... Jose. Or, I, you know. Right, like, just, just a name. Just What's up, Ralph? How are you? Right. Well, so there's 
there was this thing that I thought was a creepy pasta that I'm going to tell the story, but I thought it was a creepy pasta, but it's like the actual, from what it was, it was the leaked medical record of this boy. It's coming up soon. I won't give too many details, but of this boy and this young girl said she found it in her mom's files and was like, I thought it was really creepy, whatever, whatever. And then this, the other person that was in the room with this like encounter came forward and gave his story, like his full detailed story on what happened. So it's kind of where it came from, how it happened. I don't know how they came up with the name though. So if you see the creeper, you're supposed to leave. Yeah. You're supposed to get the fuck out of here. I think it's really funny though, because it's like all fun and games like, yeah, we're spooky, scary, but seriously get the fuck out. If you see the creeper, it's not cool. Like don't, I'm not kidding. Like, I'm like, oh, God, fuck. Like, that's one thing. They're like, nope, just leave. Uh, People that see this creature never return to the property. And so this is when I'm going to tell you the man's story of witnessing the creeper in an ECT room, electroconvulsive therapy room, um, when it was still open, obviously. Um, And I, like I said, I always thought this was just a fucking creepypasta, but... Then I reread into this, and it's like this guy's account of the story that this girl put out that I thought okay. was the creepypasta. So the whole group saw this entity. There were, they were in the room with a child named Richard, known as Shadow Eyes. Ugh. Um, and I kind of go into why he's Shadow Eyes here in a little bit. So this Richard kid comes to the building, and the whole building felt different, this man said. like It's like he came in. And you could feel... Is Richard a real person, or is it yeah. like a spirit? Richard is a kid. Okay. That came to the the asylum, not asylum, but that came to the sanatorium and was like, I need help, whatever. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it was never considered a asylum, but they would take in people. But I'm confused. Is this... I'm I'm sorry, I'm really lost. No, it's fine. They're in a room with this kid. So is he, like, now going there? And no. So the story is, like a... is in the room in a CT scan, and this is the start of the story. Richard comes to the sanatorium asking for help. While he's in, like, so it's, I know, but is it, like, the 1800s when this is happening? Or, the set ni- like, the early 1900s? This is the 60s. Okay. This is the 60s. So it says later on the, like, date. But, okay. So this is in the... In the 60s. I thought it was like they were doing like a, a ghost seance thing. Oh, no, no, Sorry, no. That's this why is, I was lost. This is okay. like when he was a nurse. Okay. When it was open. Got it. All right. Now I'm on your page. Got it. Sorry. Um, I just lost myself there for a minute. So this Richard kid comes to the building and you could like feel the energy change in the building. This man said who was, I believe he was a nurse. Okay. Um. It didn't, he never said his job title. He just said the job title of the other people that were in the room with him. So, but I believe he was a nurse. Um, There were large amounts of squawking crows all around the building and the child when he was walking to the building, which was like abnormal. I would drop kick that kid in the face. Um, He's deaf a demon kid. He was very small. And had a huge presence, like you could feel him in the room. That's because he was full of a demon. Uh-huh. Everyone could feel his, like, upset and his, like, terror. Like, he was afraid of himself, basically. Like, he felt like something was not right, right? Like, you could feel his sense. 
I wish you guys could see my face right yeah, now. Yeah, she's not happy. I don't um, like it. This man called him an old soul in his <coughs> story. Um, he was well-mannered and gentle. He wouldn't make eye contact for you, like, with you for long, but when he did, the man said that his eyes were, like, you could feel them, like, drilling into your soul. Like, you could feel him in your head. So a lot of the men, because it was mostly with men, like, with the women, it's like they didn't feel the same thing, but the men were, like, you could feel him, like, in your head, and it was so intrusive that no man wanted to make eye contact with this kid. Um... Yeah, I do this is, drop kick that kid. In the telling face. you, this is like the creepiest thing ever. I'm gonna sleep upstairs tonight by my parents because this is scary, and I don't want to sleep in a basement by myself. But this kid had dark green, shadowy green eyes. Like yeah. they said, it like grayish green, but like dark. And that's why he had the like. It was almost a term of endearment at first because he was a very like, like they said, gentle and well mannered kid, and he had just these like these deep eyes. Um, so they avoided eye contact at all costs and on August 23rd of 1967 at around 10:30 a.m. Richard was sent to his second round of electroshock therapy and was strapped down. There were two unknown doctors there that were from outside the hospital this guy said. A male nurse, a male orderly and a female nurse and then himself. Okay. And, um, sorry, there was discussion about upping the voltage from the first time that they did it. And this man, like, knew that that was way, the what they were saying was way too much for a small child like Richard. And he believes that this may have triggered what they call is the creeper in the hospital. They, when they turned on the switch, the child screamed and he spit out his, the rubber mouth guard that he had in his mouth. And then the doctor slapped the child in the face for spitting out his mouth guard. Okay. After being slapped, the, the man says that the look that Richard gave this doctor was like pure rage. He's like, I have never felt so much hatred ever. And it's like, I can't even, I can't I even imagine. like anything you're telling me right the, now. The Richard turned beet red, was pouring sweat, and veins were popping out of his, like, out of his head mm-hmm. everywhere in his body. You could see the, like, very vascular. You know, yeah, very vascular. Very vascular for a small child. <laughs> Richard was strapped down again, and the man that was telling the story said he went to turn to leave the room because he was, he's like, I need to go. You can't watch this. Right. I can't watch. I need to go. And he's like, I wanted to call 911. I wanted to get someone there. And he turned to leave the room. But when he turned, they flipped the switch again. Richard screamed even like, he's like, I didn't cause he turned and he didn't see, he just heard Richard screamed even louder than the first time for anybody that he could, for mom, for dad, for God, for whoever, like someone come help me type of thing. The female nurse at this point began to cry and panic for the kid because like, and she's some female nurse at this time, like she has no say mm-hmm. on anything. So she freaks out, wants to do what she can to help him. During this volt, Richard soiled his pants and urinated on the table. Poor baby. Did he die? Um, then, 
it looked as if, and you say I spoiler ask questions. Then it looked as if his eyes were almost glowing. And the guy, the guy that was telling the story, because he turned back around when he screamed, the guy that was telling the story said that he didn't know if maybe it was the electric, like, voltage that's making him look almost like he's glowing or what made it happen. But then his eyes started to bleed. They're releasing the demon. Oh, he threw up and then began gagging on his vomit. He was foaming at the mouth. Um, I'm like tight chested reading this. I don't like this at all. He was foaming at the mouth and then he went still. The man said it seemed as if the doctors were enjoying inflicting this pain on this kid. Then one of the doctors said one more time, barely pausing to allow the poor child to rest. Quotations. It looked like Richard was unconscious at this point, but they flipped the switch again anyway. At that moment, the creeper appeared, he said. There was a clanging coming from all around the room, like as if someone was knocking with hammers, they said, on all of the like metal, mm-hmm. every, it, like anywhere and everything. And the crows started making really loud sounds outside and slamming into the window of the room and then piling up on that windowsill right there. Oh, um, oh my God. I'm like, <laughs> from one of the main points of the noise where it all, like, it was everywhere, and then it, like, the way he said it kind of, like, all managed to move to one space, and in that space, I'm sorry, I'm, like, I'm, like, nervous. <laughs> Why am I so nervous? Um, a black haze began to collect no. that was floating above the ground. I don't like this. A strong odor of burnt flesh and sulfur and rotting eggs filled the room. The blackness grew in size up to nine feet high or so, he said. A I'm solid chills right I know, now. a solid black mist. It took the shape of a head and shoulders and then misted out and floated with what looked like this is a direct quote. And I thought it was the creepiest description ever with what looked like black and gray spider webs draping behind the mist as it moved over and shrouded the child like a big black blanket. (gasps) Oh, my heart is like, they then heard a grumbling, terrifying, deep voiced broken like static so it was like you know like broken oh radio say get out go from the child leave him now they all froze because they were like panicking they couldn't see the they could it was so thick that they couldn't see the boy underneath this black mist mm-hmm. um and the first thought the guys like this man had was what if this thing somehow consumes this child right in front of us? Like, how I, how do you explain it? What do you say? Uh, uh, glass beakers and anything that was mobile in that room began to fly around the room and slam on different things. The female nurse got hit in the face with one of those glass beakers and fainted. Then all the men ran out of the room. Um, Fucking pussies. Fuck that. Yeah. Nope the fuck out of there. They, so they, they ran out of the room, leaving the woman behind, by the way. Dicks. Um, but the man said that 
he wasn't proud of leaving while she was still there. But when they left, they came back in just a minute or two with a gurney to pick, like, get her and pull her out. Um, and at and on his way back in, he had grabbed one of their cameras out of their, like, I don't know if they have desks or what, but he had mm-hmm. grabbed one of the cameras and he took a snapshot shot of this creeper standing in the doorway uh, on the way into the room. And then, poof, it was gone. That was it. They saw him and he just like melted to the ground. They tended to the nurse and then, oh, too soon. And, and then met in the chapel trying to like pull themselves together and figure out what just fucking and happened. Obviously the boy was dead. Yeah. The nurse was fine. She was tended to. And honestly, when she had woken up, she was more insistent about getting Richard out of that room and taking care of him than she was worried about herself mm-hmm. once she was like able to regain herself. And, but she was ordered by one of the doctors not to go back in that room for her own safety. Um, some of the staff, died after that that were in that room and others oops others like quit and moved and then the other ones had like worsening health but this man believes that this is the origin story of the creeper and he thinks that he and the female that were in that room because of their good intentions Nothing happened to them. They still are living whole and happy lives. They didn't, I mean, other than this, they didn't have any, like, sicknesses. They didn't die. They didn't, you know. So, And he believes that's why, because that the creeper was manifest to, whatever it is, to protect that child from the, like, nastiness that was in that oh. room. So either it was the nastiness, like, culminating into this thing. Or it was trying to protect him for whatever reason. Um, so body shoot hauntings. We're going to just end on a not so creepy bit because I don't know if my heart can handle it. I don't like that. I don't like that story at all. See, I love it, but it's so scary. Um, so and I was doing this research last night and I totally had a nightmare last night. I bet you did. I'm probably going to have one tonight. Um, there are claims to see a woman floating in the air around the, like, tunnels and the body shoot areas. Um, She is covered in blood and chains. And when someone approaches her to see if she needs help or anything, she, like, runs away or disappears. Bitch, no, I got this! Yeah, and uh, they don't know where the chains origin would come from. Yeah, Because there's no reason anybody would be in chains in that building. So it's, like, a random thing that a lot of people have seen this woman in these areas like yeah so that's um waverly's fucking that's nightmare of a i don't like that at all i mean your story i always say that your story is good i just don't like anything you told me (laughs) thank you i don't know how to take that um speaking of sanatoriums and insane asylums did i ever tell you my aunt, who was in an insane asylum in, like, the, like, one of those fucked up places. Your aunt? Not like, my aunt. My grandma's sister. So, like, your great aunt? Yeah. She was? Yeah. So, my grand, my aunt Marilyn, who 
If you've ever seen the cartoon Sleeping Beauty, the blue fairy, mm-hmm. the little fat one, yes, she sounded exactly and looked exactly like her. Okay. And uh, her husband had her committed into an insane asylum. And my grandma and my grandma's mom could not get her out because they did not have, like, the husband had her power. Oh. And he had her scheduled on, on, um... Electroshock. Electroshock therapy. And she had to go through that repeatedly and because her husband kept saying that she was crazy and making and saying that she was doing all of this and, like, these weird things that she was crazy and you didn't need a reason, you could just... Menstrual rage was a reason to ins- right. put your wife in an insane asylum back then. And She's they got PMS her. and it's pissing me off, so... And treat her with electroshock. And then they found out after a couple of years of her um, being... Having to deal with all that? Electrocuted repeatedly and trapped in a mental institution that her husband was actually the crazy one because he had a brain tumor pushing on his frontal lobe. Oh, yeah. That was causing him to do erratic and crazy things like... Put his wife in a Commit mental institution and order them to give her electroshock therapy. Oh, boy. She's always a little crazy, but she always sent me a stick of gum and a dollar bill on my birthday. And the stick of gum was always stale as fuck. But I love my Aunt Marilyn. My uh, great-grandma, she had dementia. She always used to tell us that she was baking pie with the little woman in the attic. <laughs> and every time we go, <laughs> and every baking time baking pie with the little woman in the attic—that's not creepy at all, Grandma. <laughs> and every time we go, my mom would go, "So who's who's Samuel or Samford?" And she's just like, "Oh, that's my man," because that was her husband. Oh, who's Jerry? Well, that's my boy, because it was her son. Who am I? I don't have any idea, and that's <laughs> my mom, who is Jerry's daughter. <laughs> I don't have any idea. It's like, I don't have any clue who glad you we, are. I'm glad we come here every, like, three days or so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my boy. Who are you? I don't know. I don't, I don't fucking know. I don't know. Uh, oh, uh, man. She, she used to say a lot of really funny stuff. I'm just baking pies with the little woman in the attic. It's like, oh, oh. <laughs> Who are you? Uh, she was a hoot and a half. She had no legs. <laughs> because it's Samford funny, died. the way you said it. Well, Samford died, then Jerry died, and she lost her mind and stopped taking care of herself, and her legs rotted off. Gangrene, both of them. Ended up having to get them cut off. Sounds terrible. Um, yep, yep. But yeah, it's a funny... Funny world we live in. It's a funny way to end the podcast, yeah, but I don't even know where to go from there. So uh, thanks for listening, hey, guys. Yeah, and yeah. and uh, gals and and pets and and cryptids and children. Don't let your children listen to this. Oogies. Never. <laughs> don't let your children listen to us. Uh, follow us on all the social medias at ISW the podcast. And send us an email, please, at iswthepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Jamel. Jamel. In French. Jamel. Iswthepodcast at gmail.com. I don't know what accent that was most of the time, but... Je m'appelle. 
But yeah, interact. Let's be friends. Everybody add me on Snapchat. Everybody have fun tonight. Because I don't have friends. Everybody have fun tonight. And I like to snap people. I know. I do like Snapchats. Add me on Snapchat, yo. What you is guys, your, you know what? What's your shit? You know what? You should add me on Snapchat because we're about to go on a road trip. And I have a history of making road trip videos that are pretty fucking funny. So. There you go. Tooting my own goddamn horn again. Oh my gosh. My oh snap my code's gosh. on our Facebook page, so if you want that shit. You gotta dig for it. Good luck. I'll repost it. Repost our codes. Yeah. But Word. that's it. Okay, thanks. That's bye. All. That's all we got. I'm tired. See you later, bitch ass. You're gonna walk me to the car, right? Is You're gonna make me walk you to the car. Well, not to the car, but like outside. It's dark in the garage. It's dark all time. I know. That's why I need help. You know I'm scared of the dark. I'm afraid of the dark. Oh, I think Are You Afraid of the Dark is on Netflix. It might be. <gasps> I gotta-